Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 36, we read together from verse 1. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. Well, thank you very much, Fred, for reading for us. And good evening, everyone. It's very good to see you all here this evening. And uh, in case we haven't met, my name's Chris Tufnell. I'm one of the ministers here. Um, It's very good that you could join us uh, tonight. Please would you keep your Bibles open there at page 563, Psalm 36. We'll be looking at that over the next few minutes. And as we come to do that, let me uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us today through your word, the Bible, and we thank you that you come and uh, teach us uh, through it today and apply it to our lives in particular ways, and we pray that you'd be doing that for each of us this evening as we look at this psalm together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've become convinced over the last week that the topic that we are looking at tonight is of huge importance for the church in this country today, perhaps more so than for hundreds of years, and that the importance of what we're going to be looking at tonight will only grow in the years ahead. And it's the issue of how we understand and endure evil in the world. Why is there so much crime and violence? Why are people abused? Why do some husbands hurt their wives? Why do people say things that are designed to be cruel and hurtful? Why, in short, do people do the bad things that they do? But I'm not talking about something theoretical or distant and out there, far from us. I'm talking about the sort of evil and sinfulness that is all around us and which we all, in different ways, experience day to day. When I open the paper and see the news and just sigh at all that's going on in the world, when I hear motorists shouting at each other, as I did the other day, or when I hear colleagues bad-mouthing the boss, which I didn't hear the other day, you'll be pleased to hear... When that uh, family member is cruelly dismissive of my faith and the God I love and follow and it hurts, when someone I love or respect or trust lets me down and disappoints me, 
when I witness an unbelieving friend who I've been praying for seem to harden to the gospel? How do I understand and endure evil in the world? Because let's be clear, it's not enough to ignore it or to deny its seriousness or to bunker away and try and avoid encountering it as much as possible. And I think that that is one of the great dangers for the church in the approaching years. As in all likelihood in this country, we experience a rising tide of opposition to the good news of Jesus as taught in the Bible. Will we hide ourselves away? Will we redefine what God calls sin to try and bring the sin count down a bit? You see, if we Christians choose those kind of responses, then we will be either out of touch with the truth or out of contact with the people who need it. How will we understand and endure evil in the world? Thankfully, God doesn't leave us guessing. He gives us, in his word, the resources to make sense of the world around us and to face it with both realism and also optimism. And we get all of that in the psalm that we're looking at tonight, Psalm 36. Even in the world, first of all, how do we understand it? Well, that's what David, the author of this psalm, helps us with in these first four verses. Take a look at how he opens in verse one. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. An oracle is a kind of uh, insight from God into uh, something. A divine insight is what we have here into the sinfulness of the wicked. You wanna know why people do the bad things they do? Listen up. And the reason that David gives is a disarmingly unspectacular explanation for the sinfulness of the wicked. Look down there at the end of verse one. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. He basically says people have too high a view of themselves. They flatter themselves such that they don't identify their sin as sin. And if I don't think I'm a sinner, well, I won't feel any guilt and I won't fear any God who says I should or who speaks of judgment. There is no fear of God before his eyes. This isn't a description. Note, this isn't a description of a particularly wicked person, the sort that we could all get around and agree should be locked up. No, it's the sort of, just the normal person that we bump into day to day, my neighbor, my colleague, my cousin. Most of the non-Christians I know aren't openly hostile to God. They're just indifferent to him. And they won't hear talk of guilt or judgment. No fear of God. And it's fascinating, I think, that David says they basically have too high a view of themselves because that's exactly the opposite of the consensus in the modern Western world. There's a basic assumption in the way that we teach kids in school and in the treatment of prisoners and in modern counseling methods that people do bad things because they have too low a view of themselves, because they lack self-esteem. And if only they had a higher view of themselves, then they'd probably live up to that by behaving a bit better. So people say, I know all this bad stuff isn't really you. You've made some bad decisions in life. But deep down, I know you're a nice guy. You just need to love yourself and believe in yourself a bit more. And it's a very attractive theory for why people do bad things because it means you don't have to make any moral judgments. You just affirm people and build them up. And no one ever minds you doing that. But Psalm 36 says that's all the wrong way around. Here's the problem. In his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. And so this guy that that David is describing in the psalm, he would say to himself, you know, I'm not a bad person. If I do bad things, it's because of my biology or my upbringing or my circumstances. It's not the real me. 
And so that kind of self-flattery is the way that this person that David is describing becomes desensitized to his sin. He becomes unable to detect or hate it. A number of years ago, I was a carer, which uh, partly involved going and visiting mainly elderly people in their homes to provide some help. And there was this one lady I used to visit who smoked like a chimney. I kid you not. She she was a kind of 60-a-day lady. And um, one of the uh, jobs that we had as carers is she had a, a safe in her house, and only we knew the code. And in the safe was loads and loads of cigarettes. And one of our jobs was to open it up once a day and take out 60 cigarettes because we were limiting her to that, that, to her to that number. That was her cutting down. And so her flat, as you can probably imagine, absolutely stank of smoke. When I walked in, it would make me feel instantly unwell. I'd kind of hyperventilate in the car park to try and get the oxygen in before heading in to face it. Um, but the thing is, she just had uh, no idea, no idea at all. Um, I tried very hard to not let her see how it was affecting me, but one day I couldn't help but cough. And I remember her saying to me, oh, have you got a cough, love? And I thought, not until I came in here I didn't, but she clearly had no idea. She just wasn't aware. She never left the flat, and that smoke-filled flat was all she knew. She had become so used to the smoke, so surrounded by it, filled with it, that she didn't even notice it anymore. The person David's describing is so used to, surrounded by, filled up with sin, that he no longer notices it. Isn't that a scary thought? He's too at home with his sin to detect or hate it. It's just the air he breathes. You see, through self-flattery and familiarity, he never sees his sin for what it really is. And so he doesn't feel guilt or fear a God who says he should. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. And the result is a rebellious indifference to God and a descent into darkness, which we see in verses three and four. Since he's wicked and self-deceived, it's unsurprising, really, that the same is mirrored in the way that he speaks. Look at verse three. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. And because he can't see or correctly assess wickedness inside himself, that's reflected in his actions. The second half of verse three, he has ceased to be wise and to do good. He is corrupt. Do you see he's corrupt in how he thinks, how he speaks, how he acts? And this evil is restless. It doesn't sleep. That's the point of verse four. Even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. And the further he descends into this dark vortex of sin, the more desensitized to it he becomes. David's looking around him at the evil in the world, in people he knows, the evil that he's encountering, and God gives him this insight, this oracle, to understand it. And it's a very bleak picture of the sinfulness of the wicked. Why do people do the bad things they do? It begins very quietly with self-flattery and familiarity with sin that means he cannot detect or hate it. And because he doesn't feel guilt, he doesn't fear a God who says he should. And so the spiraling descent into darkness. But a word of warning, there could be a danger of looking at verses one to four and tutting at all the wicked people in the world and becoming terribly self-righteous. In fact, doing exactly what David criticizes by flattering ourselves and failing to detect our own sin. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, you might be listening and thinking quite understandably, I think, these Christians are terribly self-righteous, aren't they? Wagging the finger at everyone else and never at themselves. 
I wouldn't blame you if you were thinking that at this point, but look at what Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 3. He quotes verse 1 of this psalm, but not in describing those who aren't Christians. He's just described the sins of others, and then he says this, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. Not at all. As it is written, and then he quotes a stream of verses from the Old Testament, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There is no one good, not even one. He continues on and on on quoting these verses and then concludes by quoting verse one of our psalm, there is no fear of God before their eyes. He says this was, is or at least was true of all people, Christians included. Christians are not morally superior to anyone else. It's just that God has intervened to enable us at last to begin seeing and hating our sin. And it's not that we've cleaned up our act. It's that God has begun to work to change us with a whole lot still to do. These verses help us to understand the evil in the world, yes, but also the evil inside myself that God is working to remove. And so self-righteousness is the result of self-flattery and it should have no place in the Christian Instead, what David writes here should drive each of us to our knees in confession. Evil in the world, how do we understand it? An oracle concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. Secondly, how do we endure it? You may know that the Psalms were written as songs for God's people to sing together. Uh, The words have survived, but not the music. Now, imagine if we were to get some clever musicians, perhaps some of these guys together, and to try and rewrite the music for Psalm 36. Well, the first four verses that we've just been looking at, I think, would have music in the background that is dark and somber and foreboding. But then suddenly, out of nowhere, the music would shift to a joyful tune of praise. It would take the listener quite by surprise. Well, where did that come from? One moment, the dark sinfulness of people, but now David switches to look and sing about the love of the Lord, his light and his beauty. The contrast couldn't be greater. And the effect of that contrast is to show us that in a dark world, there is one we can depend on, a source of joy and confident hope. David bursts into song about the love of the Lord. Look down at verse five. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. One of the children's books that uh, we have um, at home is uh, this old classic, Guess How Much I Love You. Um, Some of you perhaps have read it as uh, children. And it features two hares in it, as in the big rabbits, those kind of hares in it. And um, you have little nut brown hair, um, the baby hair, and you have their mum or dad, I'm not sure, um, big nut brown hair. And uh, the uh, little nut brown hair is heading uh, to bed and wants to say to a big nut brown hair how much um, they they love them. And so says, "Um, I love you this much. But of course, big nut brown hair has longer arms. And so he says, I love you this much. And out does little nut brown hair. And uh, so then they kind of think, so, okay, so I love you this much. And big nut brown hair being bigger again goes, I love you this much. And uh, they're kind of competing against each other. And it goes on. And eventually, little nut brown hair looks up at the sky and sees the moon and says, I love you all the way to the moon. And uh, big nut brown hair says, oh, that's a very long way and uh, puts her little nut brown hair down to sleep. And just as they're drifting off, says, I love you all the way to the moon and back. (laughs) It's a great little moment. And uh, their point is that they love each other more than what they can grasp or put into words. And that's the sense in which David says in verse five, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. It's beyond our grasp. And it's a love that doesn't change. 
Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, when you meet an old married couple who have been faithful to each other over many years. I think everyone agrees that's a wonderful thing, right? Just a small picture of the love and faithfulness of God to his people over thousands of years and despite the fickleness of our love towards him. It's a beautiful thing, the limitless love and faithfulness of the Lord. David continues to celebrate the character of the Lord in contrast to human wickedness. There in verse six, your righteousness is, the, is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. Um, I know some people here have been up at Keswick last week um, or the week before at the convention there. And I know there are some beautiful mountains around there, aren't there? If you've ever stood at the foot of a great mountain looking up at the summit, it is an awe-inspiring thing. Everything else looks puny by comparison. And so is the righteousness of the Lord, his, his goodness, his commitment to all that is right. It is steadfast. It doesn't move or change. It's dependable and strong. And as for his justice, that is the rightness of his judgments. David says it's like the great deep. The deepest known part of the ocean is 11 kilometers down. Imagine that, 11 kilometers just straight down through water. Um, it's the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, only two people have ever reached it. Um, we put more people on the moon than we have to the bottom of the sea. And they just made it there, but they, ha- they couldn't explore it. It is completely unsearched. And so the justice of the Lord is unsearchably, unknowably deep and beyond our understanding. He sees to the bottom of every question. He searches out the depths of every heart. Human standards are puny, our judgments are shallow but the righteousness and justice of the Lord are mighty and deep. The love, faithfulness, righteousness, and justice of the Lord is a complete and dependable foundation for our trust. And having sung about the character of the Lord, David celebrates how that character plays out in the way that the Lord relates to his creation. He preserves it all. The end of verse six, O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. You and I and every living thing on the face of the earth continue to exist because of the sustaining love of the Lord towards his creation. And so David cries out in verse seven, how priceless, priceless is your unfailing love. The love of the Lord is immeasurably good, immeasurably good news for all people of every kind. Verse seven, both high and low among men, find refuge in the shadow of your wings. And that picture is, is one of a hen gathering her chicks close and shielding, protecting them under her wings. It's intimate, it's full of love. He preserves, he protects. And verse eight says as well, he provides without limit. Have a look at verse eight. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. The Lord loves to pour out abundant blessings on his people. And the thing about a river, verse eight, and a fountain, verse nine, is that they're water sources that don't run out. You fill up your cup, more just keeps coming. Doesn't run out. Such is the abundance of the love that the Lord shows towards his people. It never runs out. He gives and blesses without limit. And so David concludes this celebration in verses five to nine of God's love, saying, verse nine, in your light, we see light. He means in the Lord's light, we see what light really is. 
In his goodness, we see what goodness is. In his faithfulness, his righteousness, his justice, we see what it really means to be faithful, righteous, and just. In his love, his preserving, protecting, providing love, we see what love really is. Marcus Mumford from the band Mumford and Sons, in one of their early songs, uh, sings this. Love, it will not betray you, dismay or enslave you. It will set you free. Be more like the man you were made to be. And there is a design, an alignment, a cry of my heart to see the beauty of love as it was made to be. I think those lyrics can only have come from the pain of human love gone wrong, but continue to hope and believe in the beauty of love, real love. And David, lamenting the darkness of human sin and deceit, nonetheless basks in the light of God's love, the beauty of love as it was made to be. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. How priceless is your unfailing love. Do you see, his love is too great to grasp, but too good to let slip. Even in the world, how do we endure it? Well, look at what David does. He delights in and then confidently depends on the love of the Lord. In verses five to nine, he's celebrated that love. And now in verse 10 and onwards, he calls on the Lord to deploy that preserving, protecting, providing love to him now in his current moment and situation. Look down at verse 10. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. He takes refuge in God's love and asks for his protection from the evil he's facing. And he looks confidently to the future. Do you see that in verse 12? Verse 12, see how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. He's so certain that God will one day put right every wrong and stop the sinfulness of the wicked that he speaks about it as though it's already done because that's how certain it is. David takes what he knows and he applies it to what he faces. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. How priceless is your unfailing love. Continue your love to those who know you. That's how he endures the evil in the world. He delights in and depends on the unfailing, priceless love of the Lord. Friends, you and I can know that love more certainly than even David could because we've seen the love, faithfulness, righteous, righteousness and justice of the Lord in Jesus who came and lived and died for us. He came to rescue all kinds of people, both high and low in the eyes of the world. And as he looked, uh, as he looked over a sinful, wicked Jerusalem, whose people were rejecting him, he said this, and see if these words ring a bell. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. If you're not a Christian here tonight, Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you from your sin. Before the Americans dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, apparently there were weeks and weeks of bombing raids where they dropped napalm on the city. And I read this week of a Japanese man who remembers those raids back from when he was just a boy. And after one of those raids, he returned to his family home, which had been firebombed, and went out into the back garden where uh, they kept the chickens, which had been uh, scorched to death by the heat. But to his surprise, under the wings of one hen, 
he found her chicks, alive and safe. She died to protect and preserve them. And such was Jesus' love for us that on the cross he died so that we could live and know the abundant blessings of life with him. By taking refuge in Jesus, trusting in him, we receive forgiveness of our sins, protection from the judgment we deserve, but also the provision of every spiritual blessing, the abundance of God's house, his river of delights. Jesus is the fountain of life. He is the light in whom we see only light and goodness. And he longs for you to know his love for you, to gather you, to protect you with his love. Would you come to him tonight? He wants you to come to know and experience that love that he has for you, for yourself. Would you take refuge under the shadow of his wings? Evil in the world, how do we understand it? An oracle concerning the wickedness, sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. He flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Evil in the world, how do we endure it? By delighting in and depending on the unfailing love of the Lord, shown most clearly in the love of Jesus. Waiting confidently for the day when all the evil that makes us sigh with sadness will finally be thrown down, defeated. I know that some here are facing various kinds of sin and mistreatment directed at you by colleagues or at home, uh, from wider family perhaps, uh, from neighbours making life horrible. In different ways we will or, or, or do face the fallout from humanity's descent into darkness and we'll know the fallout of our own wickedness and sin. This psalm is realistic about that. But it's also optimistic because Jesus is the light who stepped into our darkness to show us God's love and save us from the sin that spoils his world. As we sang earlier, in in the valley of our darkness dawned his everlasting light. Perfect love in glorious radiance has repelled death's hellish night. Can I urge each of us, whether or not you're currently feeling the weight of evil in the world, to think and meditate deeply on the love of the Lord as described in this psalm, because it will give you the resources to endure the evil we each will face. But to be changed by these truths, we need them to sink deeply into our souls. We need to spend time with them. I read recently um, uh, this, uh, someone, someone wrote, our souls cannot delight in what our minds merely skim. In order to feel deeply about spiritual truths, we must think deeply about them. We, the church in this country, are beginning to experience, I think, a rising tide of sin and evil directed against all who fear the Lord and live by his word. And in the approaching years, that will probably only increase. That experience could so easily leave us angry, liberal, or withdrawn, but it needn't because he has given us the resources to understand and endure evil in the world with a confident joy in the unfailing love of the Lord. A love that stands in spectacular contrast to the darkness of human sin. A love that will not betray you, dismay or enslave you, it will set you free. The beauty of love as it was made to be. The title of that song um, that those lyrics come from is Sigh No More. I love that, Sigh No More. There is so much in this life and in interactions with other people that will cause us to sigh. There will be many more sighs to come.
But this looks forward, this psalm, to a day when every sigh will be no more. Because all we know, will know is the love of the Lord. A love too great to grasp, but too good to let slip. How priceless is his unfailing love. Please would you keep your Bible open. I'm going to pray now, but I'm going to pray using the words of this psalm, uh, starting at verse 5. Let's pray together. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. Amen.